Is Kalen King CB1? Who are our favorite group of five prospects so far in the NFL draft process? And how is the offensive line class shaping up? We have answers to each of those questions and more. Today is the first mailbag episode of the PFN Scouting Podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Miller, joined as always by Ian Cummings. And I'm just going to get ahead of it and ask him now. Ian, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing, Dalton? I'm turning the tables today. How are you doing? Yeah, you know, doing all right. I'm getting ready to getting ready to go back to Portugal uh, on uh, tomorrow or not tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, leaving Saturday night. You know, flying over. Gonna try to get some sleep throughout the night. Get a little nap in on Sunday for that. You know, 5 p.m. or or 6 p.m. kickoff time for me in the uh, in the early slate of NFL games being five hours ahead there. So that will be an adjustment staying up until the, the wee hours of the morning, much like Ollie does watching college football. I will be an absolute zombie on Monday on this podcast, but it is all going to be worth it. Let's get into some of these questions, and we might as well start off with the first question I asked. Is Kalen King CB1? right now for you ian and i think that this actually lends itself to another question is our great white hope at iowa a corner (laughs) or a safety at the next level because i'm seeing quite a bit of him being graded as a safety is that stereotypical or is that just because he plays so well with the ball in front of him and because he's so good against the run and doing pretty much everything yeah, for sure. And real quick, thank you everyone for for tuning in on Twitter, Discord. Yes. On we had some coworkers on Slack give some great questions as well. So this is our first mailbag. We're gonna try and do them periodically on these Monday episodes, and uh, it's gonna Thursday be great episodes. To, Thursday is today's Thursday. Oh <laughs> today my! Today is already Thursday. Ian. Today is Thursday. Monday. We did the recap of the college football Bro. week. That's what we're gonna do every week. But Thursdays we'll have a little bit more freedom overall. This season is flying by. I cannot believe it. All right, back to the question. We only have a limited amount of time and we talk way too much. So, but yeah, thank you everyone for giving the questions. It was a great batch and uh, we're expecting more Uh, next time. Always great to talk with you all. Uh, But yeah, Kalen King, let's start with it. Is he CB1? To me, he's still kind of in that CB3 range. I don't think anything has changed in that regard. I think uh, if you thought Devin Witherspoon was worthy of the CB1 mantle last class, then I think you're more inclined to think Kalen King could be in that conversation too. That's my stance on it. I value tools a little bit more. Christian Gonzalez, you know, the elite speed, explosiveness, fluidity combination with the length, and he's got ball skills, great play IQ as well. So uh, looking at that full palette of tools, that grade's a little bit higher for me. I think Kalen King is one of those guys who's a little bit leaner, a little bit undersized. He wants all the smoke. He's very physical. And I do think he's a high-energy cover man for sure. But I think even when you compare him to Witherspoon, I don't know if he quite has the top-end speed that Witherspoon does. And I don't know. You know, he's got great route recognition ability. He can pass off routes. But there are a few times where he gets tied up, especially this past weekend against Penn State uh, or against Illinois. He let by a pretty big play because there was a screen uh, receiver and then a delayed wheel route out of the slot. And he got baited inside a little bit too long on that screen. So I think there's some instances where he can be a little smoother, more efficient. Uh, And I think combine that with the lack of elite length and and physical tools, um, he's not my CB1. But he is in that mid to late first round conversation with Cooper DeJean, uh, in my opinion. Now, I think DeJean, whether you play him a corner or safety, I wouldn't box him in. That's my thing. I think you can situationally play him where he's you know where he's most comfortable based on matchups does he have elite fluidity if you're 6'1 209 210 
you're probably not going to just because you're so muscle bound, right? There is going to be a little bit of stiffness. That said, I do think he's very free flowing for his size. I was really impressed with how smooth he is for that size, right? I'm not expecting elite fluidity and he can make up for it because he's very explosive. He glides out of transitions. He's got great recovery speed and he's so instinctive too. He's positioning himself in the right places. Uh, very good in run support. As you mentioned, I mean, he's basically, you know, just a one gapper out there, you know, on the boundary. He's so good at, you know, encumbering blocks and fighting pass and minimizing spacing for runs on the outside. So looking at all that put together, you can play him at corner, right? I think he's probably a little bit better, uh, you know, press bail, right? You know, a little bit of where you can use side saddle and use his eyes to kind of veer in front of passes, things like that. But, you know, he's got enough in his toolbox, I think, to be versatile across that front. So that's my stance on the CB. And CB1, in my opinion, has not changed. I think it's still yeah. Kool-Aid McKinstry. Yeah, I think it's Kool-Aid McKinstry as well. And I think that this question probably comes from a lot of the social media banter about Cooley McKintry after that last game uh, or against after the, the Texas game, because I, I think, you know, when you look at somebody like Adonis Mitchell um, or Xavier worthy, you know, they win a time or two against a top cornerback like that. And it's like, Oh, well, is this guy really going to be the top corner? You know, Adonis just caught one just over his face. I mean, and there's really just not much that you can do about that. It's a perfect throw. It's a great route run by a guy who was six, four, who attacked the ball. Well, he got his hands up, but he wasn't able to knock it out of the way. And that's just going to kind of happen. I mean, Jalen Ramsey, that's going to happen to him. It's going to happen to sauce Gardner and Patrick Sertan. But I think when you look at the conversation between somebody like Kalen King and a guy like Kool-Aid McKinstry is if you want that attitude, if you want a guy who is going to be a physical presence impress man and you are okay with you know lacking a little bit of the the prototypical size i think that it could end up being a real conversation between a guy like king and a guy like mckinstry because i do see flaws in mckinstry's game from a man coverage perspective i don't know personally if i've seen a better zone corner than him outside of possibly patrick sertan and sertan obviously had higher physical tools so he was going to be the top guy no matter what but i think when you look at a guy like mckintry when you look at a guy like kaylin king they're in my opinion both kind of in that like 10 to 15 range i think that i've seen guys perform better so far this year that i would probably put mckintry a little bit further down in my rankings than i had him to start but in my opinion the entire package he is still cb1 for me as well yep. And I think the important thing to to finish off with is that Kalen King is not a liability by any stretch. Yeah, no, absolutely trade. not. It's just, it's just yeah. a non-elite combination. Yes. So, but I mean, I think he's good and he's explosive enough, fast enough, twitchy enough, uh, where you can have him in that CB one conversation if you feel he deserves to be there. And corner is one of those positions where you really do need those high end physical tools to to be a yeah. a legitimately elite corner at the next level. There's no guys that are out there running four fives that are elite guys. They they just aren't at this point mm -hmm. uh who is a prospect that was from k1 since day one on twitter by the way who is a prospect that is decently ranked in most places but you think should be higher just based off of the traits that you see this is from nick martin on twitter go with the guy real quick i have a couple guys as well we'll just kind of go back and forth quickly yeah, with sure. these names Rapid fire. Nick Martin always does great work. Yes. Draft season comes along. Always enjoy speaking with him on Twitter. Uh, I got to go with two guys uh, real quick at the top of my head. Jasheen Davis from Wake Forest. He was dominant this past week. Four and a half sacks, five and a half tackles for loss so far this year. Has seven sacks, 14 TFLs in 2022. 6'3", 253. 
twitchy, explosive, energetic. He's got crazy amounts of power, to, you know, kind of stored up in his frame too. Uh, love the violent hands, just a red hot motor. Uh, I think he's really slept on in this class. He's, you know, in that day two, early day three range, it seems like across the consensus, but I think he could be one of the top pass rushers in this class. And then my other guy, tight end Ben Sinnott from Kansas State. Uh, again, he's one of those guys who's kind of in the day two, early day three range. Uh, but I, he's my, he was my TE2 entering the year, and I think he could be an early day two pick like Sam Laporta this past cycle, 6'4", around 240, um, and he's a super versatile blocker. I mean, I think that's the first thing that comes to mind is the utility that comes with him, blocking in line as an H-back or moving into the slot even out wide. But he's a very good receiving threat, too. I mean, super explosive athlete, but very, very fluid on his route transitions. He can uh, cut sharp angles on those breaks, and he's very nuanced, too. He knows how to press in the seams, manipulate defensive backs, and he's a great catcher of the football too, rack threat as well. So Ben Sinnott to me, you know, a very good utility tight end, but I think he has the tools to be a legit weapon at the next level. I think we all know who I'm going to go with here. He's been a favorite of mine ever since I first laid eyes on him. Big number 34, now number three for Texas A&M. He's lost a little bit of weight. He's not quite as big. He looks a little bit more trim. McKinley Jackson. He's just, he's my guy. It's just, it, it is what it is. It's going to be like that all cycle. The other one of, of my guys stays on that side of the ball. He's still in the, the uh, SEC here is Missouri linebacker Tyron Hopper. He's just a dude who yes. knows how to play football. He's yes. the, the same kind of guy um, of, uh, oh, man, why can't I think of linebacker from Missouri who now is Nick playing Bolton. for the kids? Nick Bolton. He just yeah. reminds me of Nick Bolton in that he, he might not be an elite athlete. He might not like pop in coverage the way that a, a lot of these guys are doing these days. But for me, Tyron Hopper, when it comes down to just like making plays, the dude does that. He's able to, first of all, stack a jet at, at a pretty high rate, but he's really, really slippery and he gets downhill in a hurry. Kind of reminds me of like in that David Long. Uh, I, it's not doing it as much for Miami, but he did it a ton for Tennessee, making plays right at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. So those are two of my guys so far. Um, I am also a little bit higher. Um, and I say a little bit higher. I'm very, very much higher um, on Jaquavius Marks from Mississippi State. But I don't I was, think I, knew, I don't think I he's gonna be a sleeper for long. I don't think I knew you were gonna bring him or McKinley Jackson yes, that first one. Yes. It was one of those two. Yes. I, I've, I've actually been I've been incredibly impressed with the way that he has looked as a runner this year in that new offense. The splits are no longer four yards between the offensive linemen. It is a real offense and he is being he's he's putting together real production in that offense. So I'm very excited about him as they get more, in SEC play. One more guy we're talking about SEC. So one more guy that just came into my head real quick because he played in mississippi state this past week makai wingo lsu defense yes tackle. i mean all of those lsu defense dude he's been everywhere watching but 6 1 270 275 he's i he might be the most explosive lineman in this class pound for pound i mean he just teleports off the line crazy violence you know super compact frame but he's got really good torquing ability for his size too i love that undersized just attacking defensive tackle who can just dominate one-on-one -on -one matchups because he's so explosive flexible hyperactive with his hands a big fan of him and what we've seen from him so far all right i got one more since you did three i'm gonna do three as well <laughs> um i actually am kind of doing four here but i don't care davin van edge rusher from nc yes. state dude yep. is built like a refrigerator he kind of reminds me a lot of uh contavia street who also played at nc state kind of shorter but has yeah. pretty good length is a really powerful dude but he is super explosive as well he's, he's, he's very alignment player. versatile yes. as well that's a fun part all right nick great question but if we spend we're gonna yeah, we gotta we're gonna spend on. 20 minutes on it if we don't limit ourselves yes. so let's let's move on have to move on uh for your money based on the past draft criteria and tendencies for green bay 
who are the most likely targets in the first round or a guy that you would love to see in Green Bay? This is from Ethan Ebert on Twitter. What do you think? The Packers are always a fun team to think about with these exercises. They always pack a ton of draft capital, right? And they have Jordan Love who's playing well. Um, I think, you know, athleticism seems to be a, a pretty big priority for Brian Gutenkunst. I think uh, and looking at team needs as well, right? They seem to have a good marriage of that when they're going through this evaluation. So offensive tackle and safety have been the two positions that have kind of stood out to me in terms of future need. And then also a lot of prospects that fit the criteria. I'll limit myself to two here. Now, ideally, if you're the Packers, you were working with two first round picks. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers out for the year. So we're not going to get that, unfortunately. But you still have that first round pick. Could be a mid-round, mid-first rounder, I think. And in that range, some offensive tackles. I think Kingsley Suamataya from BYU is a fun one. Uh, you know, 6'6", 330, around that range. Uh, explosive, mauler. Uh, he's improved his balance and synergy with his technique this, this year, I think. And he's very good getting out in space and just finishing linebackers. So you have a potential future need of both tackle spots. He's played both tackle spots. I think that will be a good fit. And then at safety, I think a couple guys that stand out to me uh, Cameron Kinchins from Miami and then Andrew McCuba from Clemson. I think Kinchins is probably the better fit for the Packers. They like guys who are a little bit heavier, over 200 pounds, explosive, fluid enough to you know manage route concepts, but very good center fielder range and ball hawking ability. I mean, he's got that. And then you see him come to the box, too. He's very good at, you know, managing his pursuit angles, staying disciplined and making plays downhill with that range, that explosiveness, that closing speed and tackling ability. So very well-rounded, versatile safety. Who's got that all around utility, Andrew McCuba, uh, the versatility aspect is there with him too, a little bit lighter. So I'm not sure if he's as good a fit, but uh, those are a few names to the Packers. I think, you know, filling those needs and getting that high end athletic talent, uh, checking those boxes. Yeah. And you know, Darnell Savage is a guy who at safety is a little bit smaller and they drafted him in the first round in 2019, but that, that is kind of redundant if he sticks around after this season. Uh, I kind of look at the uh, same side of the ball on defense. And I look at those edge rushers because you obviously have Rashawn Gary, uh, Devontae Wyatt is, you know, more on the interior. Kenny Clark's an interior guy. TJ Slayton is your, uh, your nose tackle. But I think if you, really want to get another outside guy they have preston smith but you can never have enough edge guys they have lucas van ness i know that they have depth there but i'm just like i'm i look at the buffalo bills i look at the dallas cowboys i, I look at the san francisco 49ers these teams that are just able to bring together a massive group of edge rushing talent really really uh year over year have fantastic defenses so for me like a guy like braylon trice you know, just yeah. based off the history would be a perfect fit for him uh, or for them. Uh, and then on the offensive side of the ball, you know, they really like on the offensive line, they really seem to enjoy it. And, and all offensive line coaches and, and teams like positional flexibility. So exactly like you said, um, a, a guy like Kingsley Suomataya would be big because he can play on both sides. Even a guy, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit later on, maybe not in the first round, second, third round, a guy like Graham Barton who played tackle yeah. or plays tackle with Duke might move to the inside at the next level. Another so, one, maybe Cooper Beebe as yes, well. Yes, Cooper Beebe's another right. guy. He's played guard as he's, well. I think he's played all four. I think he's played all four of yeah. the positions that are not center throughout his college yeah. days. So, yep. Cooper so you Beebe's look at them, another they good one. Zach Tom as well. I mean, that versatility is yeah. good for them. Yeah, yeah, they 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 like that quite a bit on the offensive line. The next question, and thank you for that question. Uh, we, we we'll try to probably stick away from like team specific stuff too much, um, especially early on, just because we're we're trying to get a grasp of everything. But that was a really fun question to to parse our way through. What are your thoughts on the group of five conferences so far? 
for the 2024 draft as a whole and who are some of your favorites this is from brian Maffi on twitter i know almost nothing about the group of five so just take it away all right well brian does a ton of great work during draft season two he's a packers oriented guy and i always enjoy talking with him he's he honestly does so much homework on these guys so like there's there's times while we're talking with him it's uh, oh that's a name that i gotta get in the in the in the vault so he's always putting in tons of work i appreciate you brian uh the group of five is 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 stacked and i think we're seeing a lot of depth across the board it's a little different this year because teams like cincinnati right are no longer in the group of five so they're not categorized like that but you still even with that little hit that you took with those teams moving on uh, there's a lot of talent, man. I mean, looking at, I'm going to go through some of the conferences here. American Athletic Conference, you got Memphis, you got SMU, Tulane. I'm a big fan of Tulane. I think um, Ole Miss, they gave them a challenge. And I think some prospects, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, Patrick Jenkins, I think he played at TCU earlier in his career. Very versatile, powerful defensive lineman who's got a really strong upper body, uh, really, really energized in the contact. Jarius Monroe, 6'2", 205, really good cornerback for them. Physical and run support too, but he's shown he has enough press man capabilities. Uh, so I like those guys a lot. SMU, uh, I think you got Jordan Curley, at wide receiver, a speed guy. Uh, you got a few guys on the defensive side of the ball who are really promising, too, on that defensive line. Elijah Chapman is another sawed-off, explosive defensive tackle. I think he was on Feldman's Freaks. Uh, so he's a fun one. Uh, and then there's a few more. I'm not going to go through a breakdown of every Yeah, we can't, we can't do that. I mean, I think the big, real, one, the big one that I can come up with just off the top of my head is Malachi yeah. Corley from Western Kentucky. We, oh, we, yeah, we've been sure. talking about him a ton. He, he's fantastic. With the ball in his hands, he's unbelievable. Um, I want to get good Western Kentucky tape so I can really see mm-hmm. him, uh, the nuance that he has as a route runner. Because, I mean, you can be fantastic with the ball in your hands, but if you can't run a route, you're not going to separate. And I need to see exactly. that separation. So it's more just a, I need more exposure to him as an all-around prospect but obviously Ian Valentino is a massive fan our boss is a massive fan of his so uh, I'm going to take his word for it real quick a few more group of five guys at the very top of my head Marshall corner Micah Abraham big fan of him playmaker he's got tons of ball production but he's also pretty fluid he's got good length for his size Um, and I'll just go through the I'll just go through as many as I can here I'm going to Flip through Mid-American Conference, Quinion Mitchell from Toledo. He could actually be an early round pick. I mean, this is a guy who's six foot, 200, great size, great explosiveness and closing speed. Another ball hawk who's very natural when it comes to converting at the catch point. Uh, so I think he could be one of the top corners in the draft. Like, I'm not even I'm not even exaggerating. He's got the tools and he's got the production to do it. Torrey Horton, Colorado State, vertically oriented, long strider at wide receiver. He's shown some really good uh, strides this year. And then the Sun Belt, one more guy that's not really in the mainstream that I'm a big fan of, Coastal Carolina wide receiver Jared Brown. Super versatile, super explosive. You can get in the ball as a slant receiver, you know, on screens, as on end arounds too, jet sweeps. Uh, they use him in all different kinds of ways, and he's just a playmaker. He's very shifty to go along with that explosiveness and speed. I think he could be one of those modern-age weapons for an NFL team. All right, the next questions, uh, three of them, are all going to be coming from ADI Avery. ADI underscore Avery on Twitter. The first one we're hearing here, and we're going to also kind of mold, uh, melt, um, deflated uh, question into here as well. Thoughts on the offensive lineman coming out this year? Who's your favorite and who are your top five? Um, We're hearing competition. This is uh, Avery's question. We're hearing competition for QB3 wide receiver two, but how's the competition at offensive tackle developing? Uh, I haven't seen much of Joe Alt from a scouting perspective. I've, I've seen Notre Dame play, uh, but I haven't watched him specifically. I have watched the other two top guys. And for me, I, I still love J.C. Latham. I know that that offensive line isn't playing very well at Alabama, but I think he's been fantastic. He is an absolute people mover. Uh, I think that 
you know, there are some sticking points when it comes to reactionary athleticism, guys doing, you know, inside counters when they know what they're doing. And that's kind of the problem. If he gets his hands on you, it's over. His grip strength is unbelievable. Uh, and he has very good athleticism overall, but there are times where he can overset a little bit, get beat on the inside. And just having a quarterback or quarterbacks that are inexperienced put him in disadvantageous positions anyways because their drop depth isn't consistent. Um, Milroy is somebody who will escape from the pocket in a second and a half before the pressure is even there. So the inexperience at quarterback isn't helping out very much, but he, I think he's still been fantastic. I, I think Olu is one of the top prospects in the entire class, and I, I he might end up being the best of all of them, and that's to include guys like Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr., Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think this offensive tackle class is incredibly stacked at the top. I mean, we thought it was entering the year, and I think it's only gotten more stacked. I mean, that top three, they're still in that range. I think Olu wasn't perfect against Illinois. I watched Illinois, the, the defensive line versus the Penn State O-line. Uh, there was one rep against Keith Randolph on a stunt where Olu got put on his back, man, because he just wasn't able to reset his feet quickly enough. And Keith Randolph, 6'5", 300, great power capacity. So he's going to do that, right? And then there was another rep where Olu was on the move blocking against Jerzon Newton, wasn't able to sustain that block, played a little too tall into it, right? So I think there are the balance and leverage isn't quite, you know, isn't quite elite, but I do think he's still the, the recovery athleticism. There are flashes of phenomenal recovery athleticism on his tape, very refined for his age, athletic, powerful. You know, he's still an OT1 candidate. I think Joe Walt has played very well so far, but I do think. Notre Dame has played opponents where, you know, he hasn't had to do a ton of pass blocking, right? You know, they've been in control. He's been able to kind of dictate the game on the ground, and he's been very good on the ground. Explosive, again, long, so he can move guys. He's very assignment sound, flexible to seal off gaps, too. Uh, so I think that top three, they've stayed there. One guy that's rising up for me uh, from Oregon State, right tackle, Talise Fuaga. He has been phenomenal so far. I don't think he gets a lot of hype and we can go back to Nick's question. You know, what's a, who's the guy who needs more hype is in that day two, early day three range. Fuaga is one of my guys. I, I legit, I ran his numbers this morning cause I was just watching his tape and man, this guy's good. He's, he's, you know, shown something to me before and he graded up there with some of the top guys. Uh, he graded higher than Kingsley Suamataya for me, uh, six foot six over three thirty. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of Panay Sewell. I'm not going to lie. Ooh. He's a boxy guy at that size, man. He's very well proportioned. He's got natural knee bend for his size. You know, he's very good at change of direction. You don't expect it from him because he's so big, but the change of direction is phenomenal. He channels acceleration very seamlessly through those direction changes. Active hands, right? He's so good at, you know, bending his elbows and reloading and reexerting. And in a flash, he can extend and anchor and lock you out. But he's also got great torquing capacity, too. He's a mauler in space, man. Uh, he's up there. He could be a early to mid first round pick. I'm not lying when I say that, man. Talise Fuaga is, is up there. So to Avery's question, who's a riser? Who's a potential challenger for that top three? Fuaga is my guy. That's kind of who I'm looking at in that conversation. But there's a ton of great prospects in that tackle class, man. You mentioned Graham Barton earlier. He might translate inside at the next level. But another guy who's got a very energized lower body. So if he gets contact on you, he can drive you right out of the play. Very good independent hand usage from him as well, which he needs to kind of counteract his lack arm length suamataya we mentioned jack nelson has been a little up and down for wisconsin so far i still think he needs to get stronger but another very explosive flexible athlete at his size and the list goes on i mean ruben fathery from texas a&m another guy who's kind of built like a refrigerator right but he's also a very smooth athlete in, in space too so my top five tackles would probably be right now oldu 
JC Latham, Joe Alt, but Alt is challenging for that top two. He's challenging for that. To Talis Fuaga and then Kingsley Suamataya. It's probably one of my top five. And then um, he was talking about top five OL in general. So I'll throw out some interior offensive line names too. Cedric Van Pran, still my top center. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donovan Jackson has looked really good for Ohio State so far. He's got the, the top end tools, probably the best palette of tools in this guard class. Cooper Beebe, very good, very versatile. Troy Faltanu from Washington, a guy that I really like, a very smooth athlete who's got some torquing capacity for his frame. And then one more guy that stood out to me this past weekend, uh, was center Zach Frazier from West Virginia, uh, 6'3", 305, but he's pretty low cut. So he's got a really strong upper body. He's very flexible. Again, very a very nimble athlete who accelerates without much strain. Uh, and then he's very assignment sound. He's got good football IQ, good angle awareness. So those are a few guys. I think this O-line class is incredibly strong, incredibly deep. And if you're a team that needs O-line depth, which is probably most of the teams in the NFL, yes. let's be honest, this is the year to need a guy. There's a lot of talent out there. Who has an outside shot at DB2? I am skipping the question before because I don't know uh, Jason Henderson. I will ask you about him in a minute, but I want to talk for a second. Who is an outside shot at DB2? And I like that this question isn't CB2 and that it's uh, DB2 because I think that that is, I mean, it's obviously a different question because we're adding safeties into the mix here as well. And I think when we just look at this from a, a defensive backs perspective, Cooper DeJean, I, I think, might be that second guy. I, I think that he's a guy, teams are going to look at him. Is he a corner? Is he a safety? I think when you look at the positionless value of the NFL today, I think that he's a guy that fits right into that mold. I think you're seeing a ton of, you know, I, I know that the Dallas Cowboys are a team that does it a lot. You know, you saw New, uh, New England against the uh Miami Dolphins run a ton of three safety sets as well. He's a guy that you can put him in the slot as a a zone coverage guy and somebody who can survive against, you know, quicker slot guys. He's a guy who is going to be an absolute stud coming downhill, defending against the run. He's a guy who can play on the back end because he plays incredibly well with the ball in front of him as well. He's an intelligent player. He is a natural ball hawk as well. And when he gets the ball in his hands, he is outstanding if he turns the ball over. So I think for me overall, when I look at the positionless direction of the NFL today, being able to play all those different positions, being able to be a dime linebacker, being able to survive in the slot, being able to thrive on the back end. That's exactly what Cooper DeJean at his size, with his athleticism, with his playmaking ability is able to do. He's not as big as a guy um, like, Oh, uh, best safety in the league plays for the Chargers, Darwin James. See, this is what happens when you have so many head injuries. You forget names that you absolutely that, know. That um, thought, pro- that that just right? that process of finding it was yes. very. I had to, I had to find it on my own. Um, <laughs> he's not as big as Derwin James, but that's the type of overall variety that you can have with a guy like Cooper DeJean. So for me, when I'm looking at it, he might not be CB2 in a vacuum, but as a defensive back as a whole, I think that he could get there. It's really interesting because if he was already labeled as a safety, I think that would be 
that would be presented as more of a strength, right? That all around versatility, yeah. right? You know, but you see, cause he's a CB, it's like, we well, might fit better at safety, but if he was already labeled as a safety, it's like, guys, he can play CB. Like he can legit play CB sometimes when he's manning up guys and press man. And he has to use that quick feet and that, that, you know, effortless hinge fluidity. Yeah. He doesn't quite have that. Right. So we saw particularly last year, Marvin Harrison jr. Dusted him on a, on a whip route one time, you know, that was kind of the best example that I saw where he's not able to sink quite as much as you want because he's so muscle bound, but he can do it. You know, he does have enough in his toolbox to man guys up, uh, particularly an off man and then in zone two and press bail very good at using his eyes like you said to position himself but then the versatility as well like there's some plays that uh, cole bishop has made and he's another guy in that top safety conversation he's been yes. phenomenal but you look at him you know kind of attacking the play side of runs deconstructing blocks and then making tackles cooper dijon can do that too right so i think using him in that versatile safety way you don't want to put boundaries on a, on a talent like that because he is explosive. He's fast, intelligent, physical, strong. I mean, all the tools are there for him to be that guy. So uh, DB2, you, you bring up Cooper Dijon. I love that. There's a few safeties in this class that are rising. Real quick, I want to get any any safeties for, Cameron, for you. Cameron. I, I yeah. For me, Cameron's the other guy that could could push for DB2 just because he's got kind of got that same thing. He can play very much anywhere I, he loves to hit people and that's a lot of fun for me um yeah. i like seeing dudes like the old school kind of you know blow you up type safeties i mean you obviously have to do it a little bit differently these days because you will get kicked out of games and then for the first half of the next game as well so you have to be a little bit more careful with it but cameron kitchens is a guy for me that can you know get into that range i, I love what i've seen so far from tyler newbin i, I just see michigan safeties or michigan safeties minnesota safeties and me just kind of get along overall um but <laughs> this is a really good safety class overall I, I just don't know if for me Newbin has the type of versatility that I would take you know as a DB2 somebody that's taking you know at, with the 15th pick in the NFL draft you know mm -hmm. for instance yeah for sure Makuba is up there for me as yeah. well he's one that I've been I've been high on right and he's starting to produce more this year which is great but I've always been you know for me just baseline mobility and right, he's got and he's got that slot back end versatility yeah. as well that you really really want to see from guys i mean obviously mm -hmm. I, I think that he's probably best as that single high guy or as a, a split field safety but he's somebody who can not only just survive in the slot but but kind of thrive in the slot as well yeah for sure his hinge fluidity his foot speed right his hyperactive athleticism i mean his transitioning ability is just up there with the top that i've that i've seen in my three to four year window evaluating i mean he's very good there and that's a really important foundational trait for a coverage defender right and on top of that he's very physical and run support too so a big fan of him as well two cornerbacks that i'll throw into the mix kaylin carson i know avery really likes carson so he's gonna be happy to hear me saying this but kaylin carson from uh, wake forest is a guy that I've been high on. He graded very high for me in the preseason uh, going, and uh, he's been he's been very good so far this year, basically dissuading quarterbacks from throwing his way. When they get into thicker ACC competition, I'm really curious to see how he fares because, to me, he's got the proportional length. He's a very chippy competitor with physicality, but the transition speed, I mean, the technique is very efficient and very nuanced, too. You know, he knows how to use different styles to match different kinds of receivers, so you'd like to see that explosive, agile. He's got the foot speed. Uh, so I'm a big fan of him and then Nate Wiggins from Clemson. And yeah. I want to throw him out there because 6'2", long, uh, you know, not quite. I don't know if he has elite fluidity. I think he can improve his transition efficiency at times. But you want a smart defender with phenomenal eye discipline and route recognition ability. I mean, some of the interceptions that he has, he's breaking, you know, just as the, as the quarterback is starting back on his release. I mean, it's very impressive seeing a young guy this smart, this instinctive when it comes to making plays on the football. Great uh, closing speed, again, to erase those gaps and swoop in front of passes. 
And then, you know, he's just, you know, he's he's got that speed to him, you know. So I think Nate Wiggins, to me, the, the closing speed, the playmaking ability, the intelligence, those three things for me, and the length as well to, to drape over those passing lanes, he's got all those things. So Nate Wiggins, for me, is another one who, if he continues to go on this trajectory, we could be looking at him in that conversation. Next question we have comes from, again, Avery. And uh, I'm just going to ask you because I don't know who Jason Henderson is, but do you have thoughts on Jason Henderson from Old Dominion? I'll go rapid fire on this one because we have a few more. So uh, Jason Henderson, uh, I think he was the tackling leader last year, right? And I think that's kind of the, the main selling point with him is that he's got great tackling ability, good range as well, too. He's a little undersized, I think, if I remember correctly, maybe six one in the 220s range. Uh, so I'm curious to see how he holds up. I'll be honest, Avery, I haven't watched a ton of him, but I will be keeping tabs on him because tackling numbers like that, they don't happen by accident. So he could be a, a pretty good sleeper in this in this linebacker class. All righty. The next question we have comes from David Behrman at PFN. Where, I know that guy. Yeah, I know that guy. Uh, where would you rank this QB class compared to 2023? How does the depth of this draft class look overall? Yeah. So last year you had Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, and CJ Stroud. We all knew those were the top guys that were going to go one, two, three, and they did, and, and they uh, did no one, two, four. They went one, two, four. Yeah. But we knew those were the top guys, right? And we knew there was a gap to Will Levis, who was kind of in that fringe first round range, who probably wasn't going to start right away. And then after that, you basically had backups and spot starters, right? That was kind of how that class, how that class on panned out. This year, there's there might be a dozen guys who could have starting futures at the NFL level, who could potentially be starters at the NFL level. Right now, obviously, uh, scarcity of starting jobs is going to impact that, right? These guys, not all of them are going to get an opportunity right away. But, I mean, you got Drake May, Caleb Williams, you've got Shadur Sanders, you've got J.J. McCarthy, uh, you've got so many different guys, Bo Nix, Jordan Travis, Michael Penix, uh, Riley Leonard as well, Quinn Ewers, uh, Spencer Rattler, if he keeps growing like he's shown. Cameron Ward, again, you know, there's so many different names and, you know, Jalen Daniels from Kansas, Jaden Daniels from LSU, you know, I think the talent in this class far surpasses last year's, right? So I think how many of these guys are going to go round one? I know we had a question from SCU, uh, is this year going to break the record for round one quarterbacks in the NFL draft? Now, I think part of that is, you know, are there going to be enough teams willing to take quarterbacks in round one? I think maybe we could, maybe we couldn't. I, Me personally, I'm kind of on the fringe that maybe five is the max there. Yeah. But, you know, when you look at quarterbacks who are worthy of going round one, I do think there is enough ammunition in this class to make that happen because I'm, I've been a fan of Bo Nix and Jordan Travis as the veteran options. But, you know, even beyond that, Shadur Sanders at this point, if he declares, he's probably going round one. We know yeah. the top two guys. Uh, I, I do think the ammunition is there. And I think when you look at this class in comparison to last year's, going back to David's question, I think the potential starting talent is vastly superior. And I also think the depth is there too. So yes. I think you're getting the best of both worlds. I think, I, I think that this this class could break the record for quarterbacks drafted in a draft class. And yeah. I, I think a lot of this just kind of stems down to the COVID eligibility in these guys. A lot of them are fifth-year guys, six-year guys. So they've played a ton of football and they are kind of at the top of where their college development would have ever gotten. So you're seeing the best of these guys and you're seeing guys like, Penix, who went from Indiana, things were kind of ugly for a while, and now he's at Washington, and there are a lot of people talking about him being a round one player and having one of the best, you know, arms in this class. I don't see that per se. I think he's a fantastic downfield passer. I think when you look at him, like 
this is going to upset Miami Dolphins fans, but if you're looking at a lefty to throw the ball down the field, I'm picking him over Tua today. Tua is obviously fantastic at other things. The anticipation that he throws with is some of the best in the league, if not the very best in the league. But that left-handed throw, man, Michael Penix puts it on a dot downfield. And they talk about arm strength. Arm strength is different than the, the ability to be able to generate velocity over the intermediate levels of the field. And I think that Penix has enough arm strength. He has enough athletic ability. But is it high-end enough for him to be a high-level starter at the NFL level? I don't know that yet. But when we look at this class as a whole, it's my favorite quarterback draft class that I've looked at since 2017. And that's kind of when I started all of this. So for me, it's really not even close. There are legitimately 10 guys that I could see going before round four. And then you're seeing in the NFL now, you know, especially last year, you saw it. Teams are starting to take more stabs at quarterbacks. The Brock Purdy's of the world, the Dak Prescott's mm -hmm. of the world. These guys drafted on day three. If you can find the right formula for drafting these guys, finding these diamonds in the rough, you don't have to start them right away. If they're thrust into action, like Dak Prescott was and like Brock Purdy was, and it works out, that's amazing. But you have to take that stab at these guys and get them into the building, learning the offense. And I think you're going to see teams drafting quarterbacks every single year until they find a guy that they can look at as a competent backup or as a future NFL starter. So mm -hmm. I, I love the class overall. I think there's a ton of variety. I, I think that it's a good mix of the really old guys and the young guys. And uh, I am very excited to see how it all shakes out towards the end of the year. Next question that we have here is if Chicago ends up with the number one and number two overall picks, would they trade either of those picks and take or take the best QB and edge available? That is from Kyle Yates, our fantasy football guru at PFN. Um, I don't think they're going to have picks number one and number two. I think that they're going to have quite possibly two of the top four picks so we can still discuss this question and listen it's going to be arizona and it's going to be another i think at this point from what we've seen from justin fields what we've seen from the chicago bears offense it really looks like they are running their offense to show how limited they are because of Justin Fields. Like it looks like they're running this offense saying we have to do these things because Justin can't do other things instead of running an offense that really leans on his strengths. And it's the, the, the difference is so easy to see. Look at Indianapolis. Look what Shane Steichen has already done with somebody like Anthony Richardson, who is maybe further ahead in his mental development than Justin Fields is in certain respects. But as a passer, he's not as good. Justin Fields is a more natural passer, a more natural thrower of the football than Anthony Richardson. And obviously Richardson has an absolute howitzer. He's got arguably the best arm in the entire NFL. But as a, a pure passer, he's not as natural as Justin Fields is. Justin Fields, I think, has one of the more natural arms in the entire NFL. His intermediate passing is outrageously good when he's able to get into the pocket, get into a rhythm and throw the football. But I do think that at this point, even if Fields would have had a great year, you got to decide on that fifth year option. You got to decide on a, a contract extension. And honestly, at this point, I think a train change of scenery for everyone and a change of scenery in the Bears organization is what is best for them right now. Yeah. And I think uh, this is a really interesting question when Kyle brought it up last night, because I think, you know, 
there was more optimism for fields before the season and the off season. There was a lot of people hoping that, you know, he really showed a lot of, I mean, they, they built the entire offense around him as a runner last year. And he's shown that he can be that hyper elite rushing threat too. And then so they he, just stopped doing it. And, and then, then they, they just, just stopped, stopped doing it. Doing so it. I think it's, it's a tough, it's a tough discussion to have because you don't want to give up on him right away. But I think like Dalton said, a change of scenery is probably best for him. And you mentioned what if they had a number one, number two pick, what do they do? I think if they're in that scenario, then you probably ship off Justin Fields for more capital. There's, there's bound to be at least one team who will at least, you don't know how much he's going to, he's going to fetch right now. Yeah. Right. You know, it's been kind of, difficult to gauge trade value for those kind of kinds of qbs but he's already proven his ability to you know be able to build an offense around him as that running threat and we know he has that natural passing ability it's just you know kind of growing as a quarterback and a pocket operator that needs to happen from him so i think someone's going to spend some type of capital for him so i think you can ship him off um probably a, a new regime if they if they end up being at the top of the board like that but in that scenario, I think you go with a QB, right? I think you take Caleb Williams or Drake May or Shitter Sanders if he enters in that discussion. And you mentioned an edge rusher. I'm probably going Marvin Harrison Jr. That's probably what I'm doing. I'm pairing that young QB, getting him that weapon, because that was one thing that you couldn't really do for Justin Fields, right? You've got Darnell Moody and Chase Claypool entering free agency this year, and I don't know if either of them gets retained, right? You traded for DJ Moore, and he's a great weapon to have. He's a very good weapon to have. But I think he'll be even more potent when you have that alpha receiver that x receiver on the boundary and marvin harrison jr who just commands so much attention with his ability to win one-on-one -on -one as a separator with his ability to uh, moss defenders at the catch point right and then he's got some rack ability some versatility to him as well so i think marvin harrison jr i mean me dalton you and i have discussed him uh, a few times already to me he might be the best wide receiver prospect that i have graded yeah. um he might be a near generational prospect for for real you know he matches the hype so if you can get that guy and pair him with dj moore and with that young quarterback to me, that's the move to make. So yeah, I would go I with Caleb Williams or Drake May, Marvin Harrison Jr. And I think that's the best way to restart this, this regime change for the Bears because you proved last time that it was really the offense that struggled to click. So I think go headfirst into that and make sure you have the talent that you need to work with and that you need to help your quarterback be successful. Yeah, and you had money and you should have money next offseason as well. And, and please, for the love of God, use that money to build some semblance of a defense like uh, on the, the back end and the front end. You have absolutely nobody on the defensive line. And I think that's why he wants to, to, to kind of push an edge into there. And I understand that. But I mean, when you're talking about the number one and the number two picks or the number one to the number four picks, like I don't see that as Jared first right now. I don't see that as Dallas Turner mm -hmm. right now. Um, and there is depth in this class. So I think you know, you're going to be picking at the, the, the top of the second round as well. So you can get, you know, one of not those guys, but, uh, you know, other guys who are still very talented to be developmental guys, you know, early in round two. Last question we have here. And I just want to ask you about one day three sleeper that you are going to bat for so far this year Dang. if you have to pick one and if you don't have it off the top of your head i do have mine so do you want to think you about have it for yours a second? i i have a few but i mentioned some of them with the group of five questions yep. so i don't want to be and you can only pick that. one so i'm going to go and by the way this question is from risley riley rosenbush on twitter this actually came from my discord um but that's his twitter account so the the, the question was one day three sleeper or day three sleepers we're going to do one and my one is somebody who i was very low on going into the season but i've really liked what i've seen from him is malachi moore the safety slot guy from alabama and i've always really liked alabama safeties as long as they have the requisite mental capacity to play the position mm -hmm. I think what I've seen from him more than anything so far this year 
year, it hasn't been the coverage. It's been him flying forward and making plays at the line of scrimmage. He's been outstanding against screens. He has been really decisive when it comes to playing forward and playing in those short area zones, um, matching guys in that area as well, looking at number two, being able to match that. So I really like what I've seen from him so far. I don't know how far he'll be able to, to project his stat, draft stock, but as a guy on day three, let's go for it. Yep, I, I like what I've seen from him, especially the Texas game. That was yep. really fun to, to watch him fly downhill like that. A few got a couple guys that come to mind for me. Uh, I mentioned him before the season, but Yale tackle Kieran Amagaji um, has apparently been playing very well for Yale. I know they played Holy Cross this past weekend, but in the preseason, I was like, you know, this guy's 6'5", 320. He's the explosiveness pops for him, right? When the FCS prospect in particular with his surroundings, you can see if he's got, uh, you know, a heightened degree of tools and Kieran Amagaji does very explosive. I really like the flexibility, the change of direction for his size. Uh, he's a mauler, super physical, very good at driving power through blocks. He needed a lot of refinement coming into the year, sustaining blocks. Uh, the technique was basically, you know, at, at, you know, just at that baseline level. He's really raw. He needs to keep improving in that aspect. But day early day three is a developmental swing tackle and potential future starter. Uh, I think Kieran Amagaji has a lot of tools that he want. And then one more guy, LSU corner, Zai Alexander. Um, he's taken a few lumps early on, but uh, in his tape, I think it's Southeast Louisiana. I want to say it's either that or, or another, it's maybe Southern or something. I can't remember, but he, it was an FCS program that he was at last year. He transferred in uh, six foot one, six foot two, really good movement speed for his size, really good foot speed, reactionary uh, and corrective athleticism. And he's shown some really good physicality downhill as a SEC support defender, right? So he needed an acclimation period, but I think as we get into this home stretch this year, he really could start to shine and he has the physical tools to rise. So really deep defensive back group. Zai Alexander for me is one that I'm really keeping tabs on. Yes. And he was at Southeastern Louisiana before. That's right. Um, anyways, that's all we got for you guys today. I love the questions. I like this. I, I like the engagement. That's what we are here for. We want to talk to you people. Uh, we don't want to talk at you people. We love the questions. We're going to continue to do this. And uh, I hope you guys have a ton of fun with this college football week because there are a ton of great matchups to watch for. And we will go over all of them on Monday. As always, guys, I love you. Goodbye.